0: Podcast World, Cabin Studios. This is The Value, the language of business for those seeking to build companies that are ready to scale, investable, and highly valuable. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and this episode, I was so excited about this episode, guys. If it wasn't for today's guest, I would never start a podcast. I'd have never been into podcasting. This guest actually put me onto podcasting back in 2017 when he had his own podcast called Caribbean Rum Club. Now, this guest, of course, you know, this is my big cousin, Jason. Jason is a former accountant, he's a serial entrepreneur, and what I would consider a business maver. So Jason Valley, he holds more than 25 years of experience operating at the intersection of technology, and business analytics where he uses technology to add value to businesses. And that is common thing. He just wants to use technology to add value to businesses. His exemplary career spans the finance, oil and gas, and telecommunication sectors where his projects improved turnaround times on business processes. Now, his unwavering commitment to efficiency and excellence earned him the honor of Employee of the Year a couple times in 1998 And in 2010, while his team was recognized as best in class globally for process optimization. So Jason's not a jokey man. Jason means serious business. Following these successes, he ventured into the world of entrepreneurship, seeking to help small and medium-sized businesses optimize their operations through technology. So this interview was a lot of fun to record. It's jam-packed with stories, lessons, and advice on opening doors for emerging talent using technology, the importance of passion and profits in deciding whether to pivot or scale, the difference between being one of a million or one in a million, and what that means for your value, for your contribution to the world, the importance of market research and testing seemingly good ideas to identify the right business opportunity, We talk about using free trials to sell your value proposition of your product or service, the importance of having a database of leads to build brand awareness and facilitate new business development, how to generate client trust or technology, and of course, all Caribbean service providers can use tech to maximize time and money. Now, at the time of recording this episode, Jason was leading a company called Silo Tracking. Now, Jason is still a shareholder of that company, but he has since moved on to Another one of his own ventures. Again, he's a serial entrepreneur. Who's faster than we. We could record and publish a podcast. He's running his own venture called One GPS. So we invite you guys to check that out at One GPS. Look out for that. Without further ado, I'm going to invite you guys to tune into this, what I call a business masterclass on using technology to add value to your business. All right, I'm your host Kevin Valley. I'm here with serial entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience operating at the intersection of technology and business analytics. My big cousin Jason Valley. Jason, how are you going, boss?
1: I good, Kevin. How are you going? <laughs> thanks thanks hey. for having me. Finally, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jason, well, listen, no, Jason is a real, um, is a real pioneer, real tech pioneer, or you know, like. If it wasn't for you, there would be no Caribbean Paul dude. this podcast would an <laughs> you know, like, wait. As you know, I I am um, I grew up real shy and kind of introverted and thing, right? So like to get myself into this public speaking forum or whatnot was odd for me now. But I know you also kind of shy away from being the face or it, you know, being the voice behind things. You like to operate in the background and use your genius for other things, right? I and mean, we'll get into that. In 2017, when you started podcasts on Caribbean Rum Club. Right and I and I saw it you know, Jason's on a podcast. Jason, Jason's on a podcast and hey, so "What are you And at the time, like there weren't many Caribbean podcasts that I knew of. Right, like I hardly even knew what a podcast like was. It just was, it was sounded like this kind of nifty tech techy thing, like a podcast. And you say, "Hey, Kevin, you want to come and host one of my podcasts." Says what? Are you, doing? <laughs> you know, but um, I was fortunate enough to to be able to sit in in some of your recordings or whatnot and look at the atmosphere of how things you know it was, it was very conversational it was light but it was still intelligent and from that I was inspired to start my own podcast and you know keep it like that so, so I said okay great because this suits my personality well I mean yes while I've spent my career in business banking finance or what have you and that sort of profession is usually associated with people who are very prim and proper and hi how are you or whatnot. I like to keep things light, all right. I like to keep things light. So, you know, it's really inspirational. It was, it was helpful. Like you helped me start my own podcast, and thanks for that. And it's, I mean, five years later, it's good to have you on. It's good to have you. <laughs> so, Jay, right? The theme of this episode, as I would have said in the intro, is you know using technology to add value to businesses. And I, I realized that. I mean, you started off as an accountant, but still, you used that experience, that knowledge. Sorry and incorporated tech and efficiency into your work. So, I mean, you would have started off in insurance, was it?
1: Yeah. So, worked in the insurance sector for about five years. But funny enough, even though I studied finance accounting, somehow I was always pulled in the technology side of things. So, for example, at that job, we were doing some process improvements. And while we were doing process improvement, I was actually part of a team that was actually developing systems. But what I would do is because I understood the processes, I would be the intersection between the departments and the programmers. So I would be would be the one who almost doing what they call pseudocode, which is basically mm. the instructions or explaining how things work. And then the programmers would actually code it. Okay. So, so funny enough, when we when I visited a department, it wasn't fun because the department knowing that eight people when we finished with them, we probably needed, only needed one or two persons who were just pressing a button now <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of people actually doing manual things, right? So for example, in that job, and by this particular department, they would process loans on insurance policies. So to process to do the loans. They need to know what type of insurance plan you have, right? So first, the customer would come and meet with the customer service department. So listen, I want to take a loan out on my policy. So they'll take the information. Customer would leave. The customer service department would then send to that department and say, hey, this person wants to take out a loan on their policy. So the department would then go and identify what type of policy, how long this person has it. So depending on the type of policy, the rates would be different so on and so forth. They would do their calculation, they would work it through, they will say how much is available, tell the customer, the customer would say, yeah, well, okay, all right, I'll take 10000 They would then send it to write a check and then a check would be written, so on and so forth. What we did is we put all those rates in, into our system, into a database. So literally when the customer comes and says, I want to take a loan, you just punch in the customer's policy number and tell the customer at that point exactly how much loan they have available to them. And if the customer says, okay, I will take it, you press a button, it prints out a check, and it gives the customer. <laughs> so it moved away literally for like a couple of weeks, right? Because if because customer has a real old school policy, there's a specialist person who could calculate that loan. That loan wasn't just a regular junior person because that, that policy is 40 years old now. Nah, you don't know the rates, you don't know how to calculate this. So that was, I mean, so from early on, I saw how we could use technology to improve business efficiency, just improve things. So so as I said, we would well liked, right? Because when we,
0: when oh, we you, oh, you're the bottom. Bottom. Oh, because you're all getting everybody fired, right?
1: Well, I would say that we approve of the process so much that you don't need that many people.
0: Right.
1: Right. And it makes sense. You know, do, do you prefer to have a customer come in and be able to get to be served immediately versus taking two weeks and 10 people being involved in that process? Is a, a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was my first introduction into seeing what technology could do and how it could improve efficiency.
0: Yeah, and you were employee of the year in 1998 at that big insurance company?
1: Well, Yes, surprised you know that, right? <laughs> and I've tr- I tried to remember what I got employee of the year for because that's a long time ago and probably was something like that, yep. probably just working to improve some process. And I guess I was recognized for that, you
0: know. Yeah, fat, um, you help them to get faster turnaround times on serving customers, and you pre-staff yeah. for other value-added activities, or freedom to, well, based on what you said, freedom to go home. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That's,
0: yeah. laughs> freedom <of> the customer <laughs> to go right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then, so I mean, you, you're gonna spend five years at that organisation, or so five, six years, and then you are yeah. go have gone, and then you'll have gone into the oil and gas industry at another, I, I would say, headline organization right
1: yeah um, yeah and that one was a lot of technology too right because mm. i mean this is a multinational and although i was doing i so there i was doing financial reporting but again it was just a lot of tools so i was actually doing financial reporting for caribbean and central america mm. and it's, it's amazing right because i would be sending reports to the finance manager in jamaica the head of fields for aviation in jamaica or guatemala and again, just using just using technology, you know, all the data being systems, you run some reports, you validate, send the reports. They will have questions, you help them and guide them through the reports because a lot of the reports were sent through uh, was pivots. So there's a lot of things they can do with pivots for those who know pivot.
0: Um, yeah, like pivot tables in Excel, or something. So? It
1: okay? Yeah, it was pivot tables in Excel, but the report would be done in pivots. And with pivots, as you may know, mm-hmm. you, you can do so much things, slice and dice and see data in so much in so many different ways. So sometimes even though I'm sending reports, I would actually work with these different countries or you know, different managers and, and help them because sometimes not everybody's familiar with the technology or using data, right? So I would work with them and and guide them. But again, as another example of because working with Caribbean and Central America, you actually talk about different time zones, different languages, right? Because you have Spanish, French, Dutch, English, mm-hmm. Caribbean, Central America, you talk about over 20 countries different currencies, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, tons of currencies. But yet I was able to do that quite efficiently, again, because you're just using technology and you have best-in-class technology. So more and more me in the corporate world is just seeing, hey, if you have the right tools and the right technology, you can just be really efficient because in that space, we didn't need tons of persons to be generating reports on all that. Because again, it was me, right? I had a team where we were Latin America. So I had a team from the South American team more at would worked with also. But me, I was the main place for Caribbean and Central America. You
0: know? Yeah, I know your team was um, recognized as, like you said, best in class globally. Yeah, the, you know, like teams. when they had
1: to, like when they, they wanted to roll out new procedures or new processes, yo, know, we were the rock stars. They was uh. like, they would send it to us <laughs> They will send it to the Latin America region. We would be the one like I get excited to talk about this, but remember those days we would be the one who would, who would test things. they would always send to us because they know after we use it, okay, we could look at all the bugs, we'd figure it out, and then they'd roll it out to the rest of the world. Yeah, that was always cool to know that you know you recognize for the value you bring.
0: The way got excited just now, it almost reminded me of like my RBC days when I was an equity analyst covering Tech Media and Telecom. And we had this analyst team. We we're all in like our early to mid-20s, I would say. And it was about four or five of us. And, you know, we were just really improved the way that we valued publicly traded companies, especially those in the bigger markets. So the S&P 500 and whatnot. And I remember like those days was like the, almost like the glory days of the career. You know, you always have those, I don't know if you do. It sounds like you do. You have those days in your career that you look back on this and you smile and say, yeah, boy, that was nice because that team, you, yeah. you were tight. We had lunch together. We had lime after work. We had put together a cricket lime or something so I can't play cricket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, get
1: like back those days.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it, it is like you spend your rest of your career chasing things like that until you decide to start your own business. But we'll get to that. All right, so um, it sounds like you, so after your glory days, you would have gone on to what seems like a glorious position, right? That's a, one of the largest telecommunications companies in the region, as <laughs> you're, looking at, well, you're looking at a little machine.
1: <laughs> no, because, so I came from oil, right? Caribbean yeah. and Central America. That was my glory days, because I spent five years there. My job was because I was working in Caribbean and Central America. I started that job at 25 and I left just shy of 30. Okay. So imagine from 25 to 30, you have a job, were you in Miami, in Dr in Guatemala, in Puerto Rico? That, that's your job. Yeah. That's your life, right? You yeah. travel in business class. You're getting, I um, uh, don't want to say too much. Get, be, you be, get yeah. decent money. You know US dollars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So enjoy it. And then was like, you know what? I'm ready for a change. I like, I sort of like, I mean, I like technology. I got the opportunity to be, I was at TST you know, to so telecom space. So I went there as a manager. I was still 29, whatever. And people were like, "Woo, you are a manager of woo. I'm like, yo, I just came from oil. <laughs> I just came from oil trap. Either. So I don't know, like, this is not, like this big step up. This is me wanting to do anything else. This is not, you know, so for me, a lot of people working in, in telecoms those days and whatever, that was like a big thing. And I didn't know this. Again, I'm, I came from oil and I came from, I'm traveling to Caribbean and Central America. So now I am... Um, big shot. I, I don't... I, I mean... I don't I, I it. I don't Yeah, my experience was just different. So now this is a more grounded job, right? here in an office and blah, blah, blah. But one of the things I would say, Kevin, is it was a rude awakening and very eye-opening, right? Because, again, I was naive. I didn't I didn't know anything about TSTT and, and that sort of thing. So just to give a backstory, B-Mobile was... Digicel was launching. I started January 2006. Digicel had launched. They hadn't interconnected with TSCT yet. So they were trying to work through interconnection. Inter- Obviously, TST was stolen. <laughs> right? <laughs> so interconnection, they get forever. Digicel, I don't want to launch the interconnection finish because it don't make sense. I could, Or everybody on TST network, it don't make sense. We launch a network and nobody can speak to them. So they want to get it into, into connection. So it's dragging out, it's stolen, it's stolen. With the core, they're mandated, blah, blah, blah. So the cell is now in April 2006. TSTT said, listen, we have been a monopoly. We just be chilling, right? I used to call it the Ministry of Telephone. To me, it was just a government agency. This particular one just deals a telephone. You know, it wasn't a company that was focused on profitability and that sort of thing, right? like a private sector. So so you know, because... Did you sell, and uh, did you sell us coming through the Caribbean, right? Did you sell coming down the road? Did you sell Bahamas, Bermuda, Jamaica, coming down and licking up everybody, everybody, every incumbent just losing customers. So we coming to Trinda now. So they said, listen, we need to get a group of people who either have private sector knowledge or experience in a competitive environment or who works with multinational. So because they don't want that government ministry type, you know, laid back sort of vibe. So I was kind of headhunted and, and as a group of us came in as managers in B-Mobile. At that point, it was guns blazing, you know, but it was just interesting to me that I came from Caribbean and Central America, as I said earlier, different time zone, four different languages, about 15, 20 different currencies. And I was able to get things done faster and more efficient down when I was at TST with, you know, one language, one country, (laughs) one currency. You know, it was just eye-opening. I had enough experience and enough knowledge to know that, hey, how could we use technology to do whatever we needed to do? And in my case was reporting, you know, I just spent five years doing reporting. So this was easy. It's just, where's the data, you know? Well, there wasn't really any initially. We (laughs) had to say, okay, let's find data. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And when I got in there, my focus was, just reporting, there was no reports. We had no idea how much revenue TSCT's would B Mobile at that point was. We had no idea how much revenue was being made. We had no idea of how many customers was there really and truly in this. We had no understanding of the different types of customer prepaid, postpaid, all the different oh. revenue. We, like there was not really any visibility on anything, and that's that was my focus to make sure that there was visibility to understand how the business was performing and doing and that sort of thing.
0: Oh, wow, but I mean, I see you. You mean you again? You're a star boy, so you're employee of the year for mobile services division in 2010. <laughs> eight
1: multiple eight digit opportunity, yeah.
0: Oh, wow, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was a big one.
0: All right, we don't seem to come double talk about this company, so let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
1: not, I mean, yeah, it's just,
0: yeah, <laughs> you're be shifting in your chair and your thing, all right. Um. <laughs> All right. And then you would you would have spent another year and a half in, in telecom in another company before you before you decide to go into more entrepreneurial pursuits, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So I wanna let's mean before we get into the into the entrepreneurial pursuits that you're involved in right now, I wanna get back into the Caribbean Rum Club. Right. So we're talking early um 2017. 2017 ish yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, early 2017, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I, I know I would have started mine later, 2017, after some months when you had your thing, you know, when you're up, to, up some months after you all started. And, What's um
1: feel like we started 2016, you
0: know? It's possible, you know?
1: It? It's possible. It's possible. I think it's probably 2016.
0: All right. But we, be that as it may, what, I mean, what was the impetus and i feel like it's such a basic question but I, I think we need to get it all like what was the impetus for starting you know the Caribbean rum club podcast for you especially in a at a time when there weren't that many podcasts in in trinidad especially podcasts of that nature and and then you know you putting your voice on the airwaves, so to speak like what what was the impetus there
1: i felt like the podcast medium you know, allowed you to really get to dive into into specific areas and and into different niche or niches or whatever it is. Now, the cost to start a podcast isn't prohibitive. It's not like yeah. running a radio station; you need to get frequency and equipment heavy, a lot of you know capital investment. Podcasts is a very cost-effective medium. So, I felt like there were a lot of persons who have talent and internet; a lot of talented people. They just always they don't always have the ability to use their talents because, well, you know, sometimes they are gatekeepers and that sort of thing, right? So you could be a wonderful MC, but don't you have X amount of radio stations? So you really can't get onto the radio station if you want to use your voice. But with podcasts, it allowed persons who have that particular talent and interest in a really specific area, they could focus on it, they could do whatever they want. So I felt like, hey. I can start a podcast on a particular topic, but really and truly what I was trying to do, I wanted to build a podcast network. So I wanted to get different persons who have different interests, work with them to develop podcasts and then take it as a collective and go to advertisers to monetize the podcast, right? But before I could do that, well, I need to learn about podcasts, right? Because there weren't that many people doing podcasts. So first and foremost, I need to learn it and understand it. Then I felt like some people may not even know that they could have done podcasts. So I'd have then looked for the talent and help develop the talent and, you know, see where their interests are and build a podcast network. That was the thinking. So really and truly doing the podcast, I had never planned to be actually on the podcast as a voice, right? My other two team members, they, you know, he had radio experience. They were better suited, but, you know, the, what they insisted. They insisted to be part, you know, but I was more focused on the business side. And it it, it really started, we really started seeing things happen because, you know, we were having conversations with Brands. We started working with the Ram Brands. We had our first event, event which we basically only pushed on the podcast and, and with a mouth and it was so loud. So... I saw the opportunity with podcasts. I think as I mean, you're doing podcasts now, and, I, and, I've, and I'm certain you doing podcasts has opened up doors to you, which may not have, you've probably had conversations with persons who you may have never had a conversation with, and it would have added value. Podcasts, there is value in it, you know. You know, unfortunately for us, life happened, and it sort of fizzled. Everybody had their different directions and so on. But it really was a good idea. It, it was fun while it lasted, because at the end of the day, you know, we were hanging out drinking rum. Yeah. <laughs> like like, that's not a bad job to have, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it really was about building a podcast network, working with new talent and so on. And But first and foremost, I needed to just know it inside out. And to me, the only way to know it was just building it myself.
0: Yeah, I heard you say something really interesting the other day. I mean, as you speak about, you know, the podcast, eventually things fizzle out everybody when they separate ways or not. You know, which is fine, which happens, right? Yeah, that happens. And I mean, I know you, you No, know, one thing you say is that knowledge is never wasted, right? So you have had that experience. You had the experience putting yourself out there. What it is it like to produce a podcast? You produce the events. I don't know if you produced events before. So oh. yeah, that knowledge, you have that knowledge now and you could take that into to your other endeavors, which you probably did. But the point I wanted to hop on a little bit is passion and profits, right? Yeah, I heard you say that the other day and it really struck a bulb for me. When you start, when you look at to start a business or a project, you start it for the same reason that you ended essentially passion and profits. So if the passion yeah. is there and the potential for profits is there, you stay with it, you push, you pursue or whatnot. However, if the passion starts to wane from you or, or your team or whatnot, as well as the profit potential starts to wane, that's when you really have to pause and potentially pivot. See what I'm doing the piece. There, you see what I'm doing yeah. the piece. You doing the piece <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize actually. You didn't realize. Anyway, I hope I, <laughs> I did right. Yeah, it was, it was kind of intentional. I was practicing in the mirror today. I was like, pause, passion. <laughs> but yeah, so I just wanted to expand on that. Like, is that really like how it transpired for you with the podcast? And then then we could get into the other um, entrepreneurial pursuits that you're into. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the
1: podcast was still. It was still building, right? And and again, it wasn't only about the Rum Club podcast. It was building a network. You know, with the team going their separate ways, the podcast wasn't about me. Again, I did I never planned to be the voice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so the passion, obviously, it's broken up. So there's no passion there for it anymore. Again, yeah, it was never really making money. So it was, you know what, move on. But, of course, it's important that you have passion for what you're doing. It makes profit. And part of all that passion and profit, too, is that you see, you see some gap in that particular space. So, for example, you've been doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Prior to podcasts, for you to do something like this, you probably had to do it on radio. And if you think about it, this, this information on radio is very inefficient because you need to have that particular time slot and you need people to listen to that time slot and if they missed it on that slot. It's lost forever and, and so on and so forth. What you're doing, it can be listened to. A lot of things you, you actually doing is evergreen. Somebody could mm-hmm. listen it a year from now, five years from now, and they would have gotten the same knowledge or the same value, incentive or motivation as a person who listened it when it came out the first day, right? So part of it is, yes, of course, that passion and the profit, but it, there has to be some something you're trying to solve also, some gap or some inefficiency you've identified. And I think for you, if you wanted to communicate your ideas on business and entrepreneurship and valuations, and whatever. If you had to try to get on ready to do that, probably would yeah. never happen yeah. because there are gatekeepers there, right? And that's for us with Rum Club, that was that was the vision. How do we get the message of a lot of people who have talent and knowledge and information that just, it's not out there, you know? How do we get that out there? I get, I get, I get people's stories, right? So Run Club, the Rum Club side of it, we were trying to get stories too. Like we did interviews with Nyla Blackburn early on, because we had done Nyla well, five years ago, we'd have interviewed Nyla, right? You know, we did Rome, we did Stacey Sobers. So we did a lot of people whose voices, oh, you would not have usually like five years ago, Nyla wasn't doing that many interviews to know that to hear her story and all that sort of thing. But now, yeah, she's well known and, and so on. So, yeah, so definitely being able to control the narrative with regards to how you tell stories, because if you're doing it on radio, of course you have a lot of limitations. You have the program director, like so Kevin. Now, but we really want, to, <laughs> you know, yes. you know, yeah. you have a lot of challenges there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for me, like podcasting was like my start into entrepreneurship. Like you can only talk to so many entrepreneurs every night or every week, and not feel like, hey, boy, I should start my own thing too. Yeah, you know, yeah, man. Like,
1: and part of that too is in, in entrepreneurship or even doing your own thing. One of the things I say is, how do you be one in a million and not one of a million?
0: Mm.
1: Right? Because if you're just one of a million, I mean, not trying to bring down any jobs, but sipping burgers, one of a million, anybody could do that. But what you're doing, you've made yourself one in a million, right? Not any and anybody could do exactly what you're doing. And it's so important for us to understand where our strengths are. And how could we become one? in a million where what I'm doing, nobody else could do it. Or is that is why I'm one of only a million persons could do this, which then gives you significant value, right? Yeah. So again, you've done your training and in, in, in valuations and that sort of thing. You've made yourself one in a million.
0: That is so true. But yeah, and then I guess if you're somebody listening to this podcast for the information and for the knowledge and everything, you are you are probably striving to be one in a million. Yeah, one in a million, that's correct, yes. But, and
1: one of a million, you don't yeah, just want to be the next person doing the same thing everybody else doing. Because if you're doing the same thing everybody else doing, where's your value? Yeah, <laughs> where's where's the, your value? Where's the thing, Jay? You just setting yourself up for $15 an hour, right?
0: Well, it might be that. Or, I mean, there are also a million, for example, well, I don't know, really a million, but there are also a whole lot of investment bankers, there are also a whole lot of engineers, you know, there are a whole lot of people in the bigger markets who are doing quite okay for themselves, living just fine.
1: But if you think about it, all of them who are one of a million of that particular space, Mm -hmm. they're all on even keel. The one who is even in that industry and is one in a million, that one in a million investment banker, he's not making the same thing as the rest of the other investment bankers.
0: Yeah, you're
1: right. The one in a million engineer, he's not making the same thing as as the other engineers. You know what? The one in a million KFC employee, he's not making the same thing as the other KFC employees. So even if you're whatever space you're in, you still need to make sure you're one in a million. And you strive to be one in a million because then if you're not one in a million, you're one of a million. That means you're average. And yeah, maybe you're average in a in a in a high income or a high income space, but you're still average in in whatever space in. How do you differentiate yourself?
0: I love that perspective. I'm glad, I'm glad we went into a little deeper into that because, you know, on its face, it might sound like, well, yeah, if you're doing these, these basic jobs or these unskilled jobs, then, you know, they're coasting by. But if you, even if you're in an industry like that, you don't have that competitive spirit or that drive and ambition or, or creativity to um, really stand out, you know, then, yeah, it is being one of a million. All well, right. The problem, if, you,
1: if you're, again, if you're in, in service industry and you're reaching to work late, and when that's you're not taking initiative, you know, you refuse to pass a broom compared to somebody else who always reached the work 50 minutes before and they were doing extra whatever. Who's the person that's gonna prosper and move forward? You One who's yeah, that was yeah. So
0: yeah, as you say that I just remembered and I didn't I didn't see this anywhere, and you know. It's a good thing I'm your cousin and I know this. <laughs> what are you, it's not like this is not something I see online anywhere? I just remember you had, Jason, you had a grocery.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, more than a grocery, I had a food and beverage distribution business, right? Because I actually had vans on the road and we would work with a lot of small shops, and mom and pops, because what you find happening is that in the rural areas or not even in the rural areas, in some of the, well, less built up areas in the little back road and the back street, the major companies, your Coca-Colas and your, and, and the likes, they're not going in the back there, right? So it might be, i have a little small shop serving a, a small segmentary community but they can't get supply right I decided like hey that is the opportunity there and we had like about 400 customers like that small those mom and pop micro entrepreneurs who we, who we supplied right yeah that was good and you know that was one where I definitely lost the passion <laughs> and I sold the business right yes I, oh, you know, yeah I sort of I, I exited it don't worry I didn't sit I no 10 million Kevin <laughs> I just sell it a couple of costs and that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> Okay. Because <laughs> the passion right, was
1: yeah. lost, you know, the passion was lost and then, you know, I had lots going on at that time. I was like, listen, let me relax a little bit because that business was very demanding. I was, you know, it was 16 hour days, just long days, long days. It was just tiring. I was just tired <laughs> and really? I was like, okay, I am not doing any business again that requires <laughs> this amount of hours, you know? As I said earlier, Knowledge is never wasted. And that's one thing I learned. I'm not working any business. And then you're, you're sort of tied to the business, right? Because uh, you have a warehouse, you have a lot of inventory, you need to make sure, you know, you, have, you don't have pil fridge, whatever. So you're tied to it, you know? So I've decided that I am not doing those types of business anymore. I'm going to use, really use technology more where I can leverage technology and, and just work anywhere, you know? Once I have my laptop and a good internet connection, I should be able to work.
0: I remember those times because um you're living you're living up in Port of Spain at, at that time and then you'd have to drive for about well, this may sound like a short period of time for anybody living in, in New York or or wherever, but yeah, I think you have to drive for about 45 minutes or something, or 20 to 45 minutes to get to the to get to the store every day. Yeah, and
1: that wasn't bad because I was going against traffic, right? Because yeah. the same direction I'm going, it takes me 20 to 45 minutes, but people who are going in the opposite direction around that time, it's, it's taking them two hours. Yeah. So I can't
0: complain. Okay. Okay. All right, cool. So let's get into technology, 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 right? So then you get into a company where you're a fleet management company that uses GPS technology to help businesses manage and monitor their fleets. And it's interesting that you go straight to helping businesses rather than saying that, you know, you're helping individuals get their GPS for the car and these nice little gadgets or whatnot.
1: Well, that was kind of coincidental, right? <laughs> so I'll tell you. So the business is called silo tracking, C-Y-L-O, right? Mm-hmm. And it actually st- stood for cover your loved ones because what Ooh. we when we when we started, we were going to focus on individuals, like, you know, persons who worried, like high network individuals who worried about kidnapping or they worried about their kids. That was what we were going to focus on. So we started ordering products to test, you know, like, GPS tracking watches and pendants. And Kevin, you'll be very surprised what tracking looks like right in front of you where you don't even know it's a tracker. But anyhow, right? So we started with those. We, we ordered those items. But I also said, look, let's try some vehicle stuff too. And what we saw is that the market was asking for a vehicle. Like I called t- 20 friends. I said, listen, we're starting this new business. We're going to do vehicle tracking stuff. Or we're also going to do personal tracking stuff. Could you help me test it? I'll give you any one of the products you want. What do you want? And all 20 said they want tracking for vehicles. I was like, shocks. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess this personal tracking of the business ain't gonna happen. Sure. Right? So I I asked three of them. I said, listen, everybody asks for vehicle. Could you three at least test test the personal tracking stuff for us? Because, well, I need to test these. That was the start. And we we pushed into vehicle. And as we as you know, as the business took off. Well, the market demanded certain things. You started getting business customers who said, Hey, I have 30 vehicles I want to take care of. Oh, but I also want these features. You know, I want to be able to see my fuel level and mileage. And I want to see last week and last month. I want to see where the vehicle was. I want to look at reports to see where the driver went when we're doing monthly review with the drivers and that sort of thing. I was like, OK, so this sounds fleet management ish. So we started really. Working more on the product and developing it. And you know, the solution, although we have residential customers, the bulk of our customers are actually business customers who want a fleet solution to, you know, they just want to manage their assets. Because Kevin, this is Trinidad, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you, I have met with a number of the businesses, right? I can tell you, you're Trinidad and they just go. I reach to work. I get a company vehicle. there's start the I need to do these deliveries. So you know what? So, I have the van, I do the deliveries, I wrap up by 11 I remember somebody wanted me to pick up a fridge and carry something for them. <laughs> so, I take the company vehicle, take the fridge, do a little PJ, get a little, you know, get a little $200. But I can't go. if I go back to the office now at half 12, they might send me back out or they might make me do more work. i go and take a little nap. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know what? So, I go and take a nap, right? I wake up a little after two. Ooh, the children but pick up those children from school I'm gonna pick up the children, school, up the children. <laughs> bring them home but then I realized that the wife say were well, rain falling Well, I'm gonna pick her up one time too and <laughs> drop her home What's the time is is after four now I could go back to the office yeah I'll go back to the office and tell them real pressure he worked it on the road today and I need to work some overtime
0: yes yes yes, yes I,
1: again right. these are not I'm not making this up I'm I yeah. can tell you stories Kevin that our customers, business customers, have experience. And and there are things that they haven't even experienced because, well, they didn't implement the GPS, right? So there are things they knew about, so they were going to implement GPS to to stop those things. Yeah. But when they implemented the GPS, <laughs> they found so much more things, <laughs> right? <laughs> so another one is, uh, I'll go to the gas station, tell them for 200 in gas, get the bill for 200, I'll put $40 in gas and tell them the tank full. Give me $160 in change.
0: <laughs>
1: right? So the, you know, so so businesses will get a lot of a lot of licks with regards to the management of fleet. And if you think about it, Kevin, you you have your vehicle. When you think about when you have to go to the your vehicle isn't driving for six or eight hours a day. You drive for an hour. If you, you know, if you go to the office and come back, you live close, right? But still, you have to buy tires, do maintenance, what have you, right? Yeah. You drive an hour. If a vehicle that's driving eight hours a day, the cost of maintenance is probably eight times whatever you spend spending. Right. Yeah. Just that's, think about that. As madness, yeah. yeah. Right? And, and possibly that company could have 20, 30 vehicles. Nice. So the, the expense is huge, you know, not only from the maintenance side, but it's the overall cost of the asset, right? Because if I am a company and my drivers on the road, we're using probably commercial vehicles. We're not buying a basic passenger vehicle. We're buying a, a, a huge truck that might cost $500,000. We might give the drivers SUVs because they're going off-road, are technicians, or whatever. Starting cost of an SUV, Kevin and Trinidad is $300,000. If you bought 10 SUVs for your staff, that's $3 million in investment there. Mm-hmm. That's just 10. We have customers with 40, 50, 60 vehicles. So, it's really a a huge cost for the companies. And I've been very surprised when we started speaking to companies, how many companies just didn't have anything. They just didn't know, they had no visibility. And once they started using the solution, it was like eye opening to them, like how they just have access to so much information, you know, because you can use, you could view your vehicles on, on any computer. So, some companies, when I go now, you would see they have a screen on a wall <laughs> with just all the vehicles. Oh, they <laughs> And then we also have smart. Yeah, yeah, because if you if you just want to know, like you want to call a driver and tell them, hey, pick up something because you happen to be somewhere. Back in the days, so, driver probably just wanna pick it up. Um, Tony, where where are you? this man calling me to something i now I'm almost back in the office now. That time before you see park a, a bar taking a drink or some kind of thing, you just go want to the work, right? Now, with this, you have full visibility. We also have the smartphone app. So even if you're not in the office, the manager or the owner or business owner, whoever could just click an app on their phone and they see exactly where their fleet are, where the vehicles are. So it's so really and it's a no-brainer. You save so much money, and then the drivers know you have the solution, they drive way better. Right. They're not speeding, they're not going where they're not supposed to go. So even the insurance cost goes down, right? Because you have, you're gonna have less incidents. again. Yeah. If you have 20 vehicles and they get an accidents all the time. You can imagine what the insurance bill
0: is. So, I mean, I can imagine just on using the example of the delivery drivers, let's say a lot of wastage, time wastage, whatever, right? Forget about the gas station. The gas station. Um, All those things add up, though. But it's add up, right? But just yeah. on, focusing on that point, do you see with your customers, because you've been working with them over a period of time, would you see like, tremendous improvement in their revenues. Of, well, you just described savings and in, in, um, costs, but also like, the ability just to, let's say you're delivering bread to, to a grocery or something like that, right? You're able to deliver to more grocery because you have your drivers on the clock for more hours because of that sense of accountability. You know?
1: Of, of course, of course, because again, Kevin, we will have situations, we, there were situations where we are drivers, right? So we're colleagues, 12 o'clock, where are you doing? Meet me by the bar, so answer now if just meet me on you, you see three of your company vehicles pack a bar. Oh no. Of course, they're not being efficient. The risk, one, you're paying someone and who's on the clock, but they're not they're not being productive. Two, okay, they just consume alcohol. So chances of, of having an accident is even higher. Mm-hmm. You understand? So that's another cause. So what we see is our business customers, because our business is subscription based, right? they renew every year. they renew every year without fail. Residential customers, you might get some children because you know what? I lose my job, or you know, things are a little tough. Business customers, this is this is part of my of my tool. This is part of the the tools. I have a content platform, I have whatever, I have machinery production stuff. This is part of my tool set being able to monitor the vehicles because it's expensive. Kevin, we're talking about employee costs. We're talking about securing the asset. We're talking about, as I said, insurance, fuel, maintenance, good driving behavior. You're talking about so many things and just, in, just this one thing adding value in so many different areas of the business. It's, it's absolutely a no-brainer. So for us, it's, it's... Now, I'm telling you all this. Yeah. And when I speak to business owners, it's still sometimes they don't get it. They don't get it, you know? And what we do, we give trials. We say, listen, take it for a month. And it comes, Kevin, it comes like, you have one of those, you know, those, I don't know how you call the phones. They call it dumb phones. you know the ABC phone, where you have to text ABC, DEF, those type of phones. Right. Imagine you have one of that, and I give you the latest iPhone for a month. <laughs> and I say, Kevin, use this for a month. Yeah, after the, month, the end of the month, I said, Kevin, Kevin, give it give it back to me No, I'm giving you a dumb phone. You triple phone. <laughs> and that's how the business owners get when they when they get gps and they see exactly everything with this vehicle after a month it's like nah i can't go back it's almost like i was blind all the time i think i was running my business but you realize that you really was kind of just blind you had no visibility and this gave you and especially it depends on the industry too right because we have clients like air condition companies who have about 15 technicians. So they need to go out and fix their condition and install their conditions and that sort of thing. You have good visibility you know where they are. If, if a customer calls in urgently, have a business, the air condition out, the equipment overheating, you could you could just look and, and see which drivers, which technicians closest and just dispatch them there. You'd have to call, Tony where are you now? You're too far. Um, you? now, nah, but you too far too. You could actually see that and, and relocate them quickly and efficiently. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... it's you know, I can go on and on about this, right? <laughs> and I
0: realize, I realize. But, <laughs> but, 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 but you know what? As you say that, and think about my time spent in Jamaica, right? I don't know how oh, I've been in Jamaica, but their taxi service is very competitive, right? I don't know if they'll have, if an Uber or anybody like that, like, or any sort of ride share could, could really thrive there because their taxi service is almost like an oligopoly in, a, in and of itself. But I remember th- there's this particular one called On Time, right? So it's like, they'll have a dispatcher that you call for your taxi and they probably have, I don't know what system they have to monitor where so everybody is. I think at the time when I was there, I mean, over 10 years ago, talking walk, walkie-talkies and stuff. Okay, where are you? Where are you? Anybody licking you? Anybody half a tree? And whatever. Who, who nearby? What, need, need two for motor campus? Whatever. But your taxi will always be outside in five minutes. All right. You know? And the price is cheaper. Now, why pay for Uber now? <laughs> 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 but it used to
1: be like that um, for me in my early days in New York, like 20 years ago. That's what it used to be. Like when, you're, when you need to get a taxi to go to the airport, you call one of the taxi numbers and they actually had radios. Because when you're in the taxi later on, you would hear calls coming over the radio. So they would actually radio and whoever is closest would just come to the location, right? Because they're just all over the place. So yeah, that was the that, that was the that was the Uber of then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, no, so I'm no, um, not silo, sorry. I really like what you did there in terms of, so it initially it seemed like you really listened to your customers where you reach out to 20 of your friends and yeah. you, you, you observe their behavior. Say, all right, I want you to try this out, that's my friend. Which one you want? Vehicle. Everybody say vehicle. All right, so you so, say so cool. All right, so you need this vehicle. And then from there, you look to see, all right, who's ordering more? You're right, so business customers and who probably willing to pay more? Business customers really dialed into what their problems were you know drivers doing this gas station this that you know delivery bar alignment all of these things so and i think you know you really took the time to say all right who are the customers provide the most value for but not stopping there who is willing to pay a premium for my good or service and then who it makes most sense for you to work with on an ongoing basis right so yeah. if you're looking at your, your own admin cost, for um for silo tracking your own relationship management cost, i would say Individuals be a little bit more onerous than for the guys who are ordering well fleets of forty vehicles and whatnot. Of course, you know? yeah, yeah. So I, wanna, yeah, I wanna When you
1: speak to a business customer, he's taking forty, but you know what? What's gonna happen? To that business customer too. Once business going good, he's gonna buy two more vehicles this year or three more, and then two more the next year. Yeah. So the residential customer they will take one, but you know what? Maybe a year or two. Their son or their daughter might want a car, and they'll probably do one more. But be a business customer. They, I always say that the gift that keeps on giving, right? Because they business customers, what we find is that they always add in buying a new vehicle, adding a new vehicle, buying two because most of these businesses growing, right? You know, you know, you're not in the business that gets smaller. So you find all these businesses over time they add on the next vehicle, or two more vehicles. They so keep getting yeah, and they, they, you know, you usually dealing with one person, and they when they renew. I mean, you're renewing 20 30 vehicles, you know, one shot. <laughs> yeah, smile on my face, right? Yeah, yeah. And know, I but but you know what? Um my my mother always said, what drip by drip by drip you fill the bucket or something like that is just, you know. So we're not discounting residential business, right? You know what? We want all all the business because yeah.
0: Yeah, you're not meaning anyone. to in a way business, but in terms of how you're targeting your messaging. So even looking at your website and everything, you see, keep track of your assets and loved ones. But yeah, if you right?
1: can check if you look at our Facebook page, you see a lot of for business customers. We're doing more stuff on LinkedIn, reaching out to more business customers. We try to deal, you know, one of the things that's important is when you speak to someone. So one of the things we do, I feel like I'm giving away trade secrets here, but but I think um really just you're going to have to listen to this thing, Kevin. I think one of the things that's important is just building a database of leads also. So when we speak to as business customer, sometimes they say, not right now. Let me think about it. We don't throw them away. I have a CRM platform where all this information is in. And on a monthly basis, we send an email blast yeah, to all the persons we've ever spoken to. Mm-hmm. Once you're not a customer, and what you find happening is, Every month with that, Kevin, without fail, every month, once you send an email blast, somebody's going to say, hey, I already know. Yes. Right? And I'm talking about our, our email list is in the thousands, but no, nobody could physically call all these people or write these people or whatever on a monthly basis, right? So when we speak to you, even if you say you're not interested, but we know you are, you fit the demographic, you're in our system, and you're going to get an email once a week. We yeah, are overdoing it. We are bombarding every two days or whatever once a month. So you top of mind, yeah. right? we top of mind. So when you're ready, and the example I use is, how often you are you going to buy a refrigerator? Not often, right? But when you decide to buy a refrigerator, you're going to stand as a court. You're always seeing them. You're always seeing them. So for us, it's important for us to be top of mind. I think that's something, you know, there are so many tools that business owners could use or entrepreneurs could use to ensure that you keep staying in touch with your customers because that's so important. You know, keep talking to them, reaching out to them. Communicating with them, sharing information with them. Again, not overdoing it, but once once a month, you know what? That's that's good enough for us. But every like time that. we send that email, somebody we haven't spoke, we haven't literally have a conversation within six months or nine months, would say, "Yeah, hey, I keep seeing these thing, and I already know." Yeah, yeah. You get you get ten vehicles, twenty vehicles to do all for that.
0: Yeah, I really like that, and especially for business customers, especially like the business customers, I assume you'll be targeting, which will be more. Maybe not the large, maybe the large, the large, large customers just yet, but probably some mix of that in there, but mostly like the medium-sized businesses or the, the small to medium, but closer to the medium size range of business. So maybe those guys who making, let's say, over a million, over 5 million TT in annual revenues, over a million US in annual revenues or so, like those guys who would have like a sufficient amount of fixed assets that they'll want to have protected or whatnot. Those guys, they're really busy operating a business, managing a bunch of different things because I mean, usually their company sizes might be, might be somewhere like between, I don't know, 11 persons to 50 persons. So, so there's a bunch of different personalities, everything that they're trying to keep a well-oiled machine going. And they don't need to be emailed every minute. They don't want to see your email, you know, those daily emails. And plus people are getting so tired of email marketing. It's almost like it's having less of that. Like we, our brains are being trained to ignore it. So just like back in the day, billboard marketing or even like those TV ads, it is in our face, in our face. We eventually learn how to ignore them. Yeah. Focus on the content. Like YouTube, when YouTube has an ad now, we just notice, all right, we wait five seconds. we'
1: you don't even see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, and, I, and I, same, I check my phone.
1: <laughs> the same thing for the email campaigns. That's why we do yes. once a month. Because yes. once a month, oh, what is this? Let me see what they say saying now. And we always, and, you know, sometimes we do offers and special. So there's always, we always try to, we're not, when we send you an email, it's not, we're not just sending your email just for so. We always try to say, let's make sure there's something in it for the, for the customer at that point in time. But if you're sending it every day, they're just going to be ignored. They're just going to be ignored. But this comes back, Kevin, to part of the, the original conversation, just using technology, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I, I'm using technology to connect with 10,000 persons every month. Again, that's physically impossible if I had to hire persons to call those persons or send them my email one-on-one. It's impossible. But using technology, and that's I find that, well, in Trinidad and Tobago, there's more need to use the technology. And these technology, they're available and they're not expensive. I think technology has become so much cheaper now where we could do these types of things. I think if, if more businesses just try to use these tools, a lot more value at a lower cost, yeah?
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed.
1: And these sort of things are standard in North American markets and, and that sort of thing. And why we can't be using, uh, uh, for us, we're using everything, all the best tools and and best in class and world class. That's exactly what we use. We're not using, we're using the same thing that major corporations in the US and Europe using because, you know what? If it works for them, why can't it work for me?
0: Yeah. All right. So I want to touch on Mark TT, which which I I feel is like, Uh you know, your your youngest baby right now. (laughs) (laughs) Online marketplace Chennai and Tobago. No, I
1: mean,
0: yeah, this baby <laughs> still needs 30 cut later rocket, but <laughs> we get in there. Yeah, I mean, this. Uh, so there's an e-commerce marketplace and it ties directly into your purpose or your mission of yeah. helping businesses through the use of technology, right? Yeah. So I want you to just kind of expound on it a little bit to talk about how does it work, how does the tech work? What are the nuances that you're experiencing right now? <laughs> How's it going? All right. So on Mark TT,
1: is an e-commerce marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. The idea behind it, the idea behind it was to allow businesses to sell online. And when I say online, because sometimes you say sell online, people say, whatever well, Instagram account, a Facebook page. <laughs> 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 thats sell it online, right? Well, I don't consider it selling online. I mean, pure e-commerce, pure e-commerce where someone could go to our site, purchase something from you. And pay for it, and they can pay for it in many different ways. They can pay for it with their credit card or their debit card. They can, or they can pay on delivery. And I say pay on delivery versus cash on delivery. Right? When I say cash on delivery, people think, well, oh, so I have to have cash when they come. No, it's pay on delivery. You can pay with cash, debit card, credit card. Right? Right. So the idea was we build a platform that allow on businesses to list their products and as a result, make it available for purchase by anyone in Trinidad and Tobago, and we handle the logistics. The logistics means that we will deliver it or have it delivered to your customer. So we pick it up from you, have it delivered to your customer, and we collect the payments. Again, we collect the payments either upfront or at the time of delivery. So you as a business owner don't have to worry about, well, one, building a website. Two, you don't have to worry about deliveries. Three, you don't have to worry about payment processing or collecting payment, right? And, and let's look at each one of these. Building a website isn't cheap, mm-hmm. right? It, it's effort, it's time. You talk, when you build a website, it has to be developed. Mm-hmm. There's this stuff in the back end, There's the server. There's your your website URL. So you have to buy your domain, mm-hmm. So www.kevin.com. You have to buy that. You have to pay for that every year. Kevin.com is literally like a house, a physical house. Mm-hmm. And you have a nice house, and then your silver, right? That silver that you have to you have to pay for, is literally like your land. So you need both because your website is like your house. People see it, it's nice and whatever, whatever. But it has to sit somewhere. It has to reside somewhere. And that's where your silver. So those are two costs. Every year you have to pay for your website domain. You have to pay for for the land, which is your silver. So that's two costs there already. Then your developer come like your contractor who building the house for you. But unlike a house, where they put it up, a website needs constant maintenance. So your contractor literally, you have to be talking to your contractor every week. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, Tony, I keep using Tony, I don't know why. But yeah, Tony, I live in the house, but I have a leak today. And next week, the house, the electrical give it trouble. And the day after...
0: Deployment. <laughs>
1: <The plan> um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what your website is, right? Yeah, yeah. So think of it as a small business owner. To spend that time and that effort there then you're not focused on your business that's just one then when somebody someone wants something you have to get it to them i'm in diggo martin the customer in me arrow or getting to them or i'm in diggo martin the customer say meet them meet them grand bazaar (laughs) but here's the thing i don't know if the customer is a kind of smart man con man or some bandit because it's the environment we're in the customer could be legit the customer also don't know if I the seller have a con man, but that's or the favorite thing. So you have the both parties very distrusting. Mm-hmm. And that's again where we come in, right? Because you're using that event, the customers is using a trusted platform. They get them delivered. We partner with UPS. So you find that our delivery is a professional entity. They have all the best in class practices and so on and so forth. So we don't have to even think about that. All deliveries in trend that is $30. Right, to Tobago is $60, so it's a flat rate. It's
0: All delivery is dollars
1: $50, but yeah. Food, but
0: food, let me not call the name of anybody, but people delivering <laughs> food and saying charging more than that.
1: <laughs> right, but it's different, right? Their model is a quick delivery within that yeah. 50 minutes, 15 minutes, that sort of thing. With us, it's 48 hours or 24 hours. And with our partners, they have a hub and what they call a hub-and-spoke approach, mm. right? So a hub-and-spoke means that the Diego Martin driver he leaves the office, which is the, the hub, and he goes to Digger Martin every day. That's the spook. He collects his items, he does deliveries, and he makes picks up, he comes back to the warehouse. The San Fernando driver now he goes side to San Fernando every day. So, whatever the Digger Martin driver brought up for San Fernando, he's not taking that to San Fernando. Yeah, so it's a hub, and you have these spokes for different yeah. areas, right? And that's where you would, with us, you would have that 24 to 40 hour turnaround time because. Our driver will go out, pick it up He bring it back to the next driver go on the morning he drop he, he, he um take it out right so for us we didn't want to buy vehicles and have a hired i am not a logistics expert i know technology so what i try to do is use the technology and leverage all aspects of technology so it really gives the business owner peace of mind that you know they've sold something it will get in a reasonable time and they will get their funds to their bank account you know, and, and not have to worry about how it's getting there, this person, uh, are they a criminal, so on and so forth,
0: you know? Yeah. And aside from that, but how do you, mean, you know, how do you generate client trust? I mean, and I guess it, this could touch- How do we get the, generate what? Client trust with, with technology.
1: So obviously when you launch, no, nobody knows you, nobody believes in you, nobody cares about you, right? So you have to do proof of concept. What we did is we just went to some wholesalers- And we just bought products and we started doing sales. So we just started selling. We put a real low markup margin because we said, listen, we're trying to make money. We're trying to get trial. We're trying to prove our concept, right? So we wanted to test. We also want to test all aspects of of the platform. So we started selling. But while we're selling, we're advertising. Be a vendor of our platform. Be a vendor. So... While we're selling customers using it, they say, whoa, wait now, but this kind of did what they said they were going to do. They said they'll deliver to me at 48 hours. I wasn't even expecting that so soon. So now you start getting referrals. No better referrals than your customers.
0: Customers, yes.
1: Who have a good experience. So they start talking, vendors start trying it. And what we did initially, was we had no fees because we just try and encourage vendors to try it. I always believe if you have a good product, and you're trying to get market penetration, just give some trials, right? We did that with Silo. That's what we do. We still do that up today. And with Unmarked, we give trials. We still do give trials, right? But we we just made it free, right? And people are like, oh, you are making money? Like, we're making a little money from selling our products. But yeah, we're not really making that any sort of money. So as vendors started using it, and it, it worked, like they sold. And you will see it. You'll see a vendor sell something for $100 and they withdraw their money one time. And yeah, we pay, you. Yeah. <laughs> I just like wait, The payment, they said they were gonna pay me by tomorrow and I and I got it.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So you found the vendors and you know, and it grew from there. And that's kind of how it grew, right? Because Kevin, for me, I've done a number of endeavors, right? And what I believe is like your first year, you're trying to figure it out when you're doing a business. You're not gonna hit it. I mean, sometimes you get lucky hit the part or sometimes you're just tweaking it because you in your mind think you know exactly this thing. Right? And that's cliche that you probably follow up here when Mike Tyson say everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So you put it out. You say, you develop it, you build it, you put it out there and then crickets. Right? And you're you're feeling depressed. No. The first year, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to understand. We did that with Silo. We did that with Unmark. We figured it out. After the first year when you figured it out, then you start growing and you start making some money. But you're not making no profits yet, right? Nothing to talk about money to put back in the business Buy a cup of coffee, eat some doubles, nothing to talk about. And by a third year, once you've really figured it out and it starts scaling, by a third to fifth year, to me, that's when you really start really able to reap the fruits of your investment, right? You know, you start seeing profits there and that sort of thing. So, so for business owners, so oh, you know, they people have to recognize it's not a business owner's sprint, right? It's a marathon. Yes, there are parts of it because like like a marathon. Sometimes you have to pick up the pace a little bit, right? But you're, you're there for the distance. So so for us, first year, we just we were just trying to build trust and we started getting the trust. And then you just you just keep doing what you say you're going to do, you know?
0: All right. I think I have about maybe two more questions I must ask. I might ask extra, but there are at least two more questions I must ask before we wrap up. The first one. So for you and your endeavors, Jason, when you're building these businesses, like these tech businesses, so the silo, the unmark, and whatever else you may come up with soon. Is it that I've another one in the, in
1: the pipelines
0: that
1: I'm very excited about? But that's all about
0: All right, <laughs> that... right no brother. Is it that your plan is to build up something really valuable and exit within seven years? Or is it that hey, what I want to build this legacy? I want to I wanna pass it on to the to the next generation. I want this business to be mine and under under my stewardship, or at least under my ownership, under my name, under my brand for a lifetime?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. So for me as a serial entrepreneur, to be honest, Kevin, I like building stuff. I don't really like running stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I I like building something. I like to build it and it's working and it's going and it has a life of its own. Once it has a life of its own and there's nothing for me to build or develop in it, I get bored, mm. you know. So I think for me, it's all about building and then figuring out how to exit. Okay, that's what I feel comfortable with because I always have ideas. I've always, I'm always seeing something that hey, why is this this way? Could we fix this? Could it be better. And then I get so consumed with it that I want to do it. I want to deal with it. But if I'm doing that, well, that, then this thing that I'm currently running, I currently give it the focus or, or attention it, it deserves, right? So for me personally, I actually love building and then ideally exiting and, you know, moving on to something else.
0: Yeah. No, and the reason I asked this question, I think I'm going to actually make that a staple question for everybody I, I talk to going forward. When you're building a business to exit versus building a biz- business for legacy, you know, you're, you're approaching it differently. You're approaching your, how you build your um, incorporate, like corporate governance and all that. So for example, if you're looking to exit via IPO in the public markets, then you had to be drilling corporate governance from after year one, after you yeah, figure it out. Of course. You know? But if you're building to exit, you're just focused on all right, how I make this bet, how do I make this better, mm-hmm. faster, and cheaper than everybody else in the market. You're building yep. for you're building for value and efficiency, right? And if you're building for and
1: corporate governance, that would not always be there,
0: right? Because you yeah, not because... but uh, but not as a strange extent, yeah.
1: Because corporate governance is also a cost. You have to have it's a big proper co- financials and proper thing. But if you just build it as a real lean startup, you might just be using the most basic financial tools to, to as, as they say in accounting to give you a true and fair a, a reflection of what you're trading now and what your profitability is. It's not going to be exact. You might have a 5% margin, but that's fine. You might say, you know what? I'll do that 5% margin because it might cost me actually $10,000 a month to get it perfect. Uh don't want to spend $10,000, you know?
0: Yeah. Anything is when you're billing for exit or billing to be acquired, you know that right, chances are the people people who are going to acquire you are, are going to be something bigger than you, right? And yeah. who are already gonna have their own systems and it's gonna you gonna bolt yeah. your business onto their systems, or whatever. And yeah. you know, they're gonna probably make it more efficient, profitable, or whatever it is. When you build into exit, you build in for concept most of all.
1: Yeah, and then sometimes your small business, which is a business, when it mm-hmm. goes to the big guy, it becomes a feature. And <laughs> becomes so you know, like I might build on mark right? And it's a whole business in itself. And then somebody takes it over because you know what? They wanted out. They wanted to, to do e-commerce for their business. So we just become a feature of their big multinational. We just on, you know, on my becomes the e-commerce arm, right. you know, to help them with distribution logistics and all that. So that's how it works. And then as I said, they would build their systems and things over yeah,
0: it. I thought of a third question, but um, <laughs> right, my second question for you. So we talk about making businesses more valuable through the use of technology, right? Yeah. And I think in most of our examples, we would have covered product-based businesses. I want to talk about the lawyers, the doctors, the consultants, you know, those guys for, for a second. Like, how would you, I mean, I know this question a kind of outer left field, but how would you advise somebody in those, in those professions, those kind of professionals, service-based, how would you advise that they use technology to, you know, enhance the value of their, their offerings?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's something I have thought about i haven't looked at it i looked at it a little bit but
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the ways i find that these service-based lawyers doctors is really finding ways for their clients to tell to be sell a little more self-sufficient so as a lawyer or, or a doctor i should have a website where somebody wants to have a conversation with me or consult with me and they just go and they book their time and maybe they could pay a dunk payment so it, it's booked when i say booked i'm not speaking about somebody just click on it it's booked with a financial commitment they, they Oh, so now just pick
0: the, my calendar, link and you're in my calendar and you're done and then you never show up right you could you might say it's happen to me any go on yeah
1: correct you see it in, in the US so for example I was going to a restaurant the other day and for me to go to the restaurant I called the restaurant they said oh yeah no just go to the website so I go to the website I see I saw what slots were open I book put my credit card in and if I didn't show up there was a fee they were gonna yeah. take out of my credit card well,
0: no that's it sounds like you were in New York because yeah there's a if there's a fee
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was in New York yes <laughs> yeah if I didn't show up if I didn't show up within half an hour or something so sort of the book in time yeah. they would just charge me a fee right so what that does for those professionals because their time they trade in time right A lawyer, a doctor, they're they're stuck in traders' time. So what you want to do is maximize your time. So they can, if you have this solution being used, you can keep your calendar full, make sure you have no gaps in your, your schedule. And then based on demand, they can see my calendar always full. Maybe I can increase my price by 10% maybe I can increase my price by 15%, 20%, you know, until they get to that point where you say, oh, I started to get diminishing returns. So i raise raised my price so I started to see gaps in my calendar. And that may not be a bad thing because you might still be making way more, but actually less time. And that's something I felt like could be used and there could also be consultation online, right? So you could actually, that person could say, hey, I want to do, if it's an office visit, this is the cost. If it's a Zoom consultation, <laughs> but then it's a lower cost, right? Because a walk-in visit might take more time. The person has to walk in the room, they sit down, blah, blah, blah. You're physically there, you know. an a, a online visit. Well, you don't necessarily have to be at your office in Port of Spain. You could. If you live in Santa Cruz as a lawyer or whatever, you can actually stay in Santa Cruz and do all your stuff, your home, the kids there. So there's ways to use technology to be more efficient. Now, Kevin, I have gone to doctor offices in <laughs> Trinidad. And when you are finished, I, they say how much? Okay, $400 is the bill. Okay, cool, you get $400. And the, the receptionist, whoever, take, <laughs> take out a, a receipt book from a drawer <laughs> with a pen and write up for you. I was like, Yo. Why are you writing a receipt for me with a pen? Why aren't you emailing me something to have in my records and and, and that sort of thing? So I am speaking to you about calendar app with credit card and that sort of thing. And again, receipts are still being written by people. Some of them don't even take card, they only take cash. So I am probably maybe way too far ahead with my thinking. But I think that is the sort of direction we need to start getting because I think that would increase, improve the efficiency. Because another thing in, in trend, that with doctors, when you go to a doctor office, you, think, you, you appoint, what is 11? That that that, appoint, that 11 is a suggestion. You know? <laughs>
0: it's like, you should come for that time. You should come. Uh...
1: <laughs> that's a suggestion. What it? Come for 11. You know you're that. So you say doctor at 11. And that's another thing. That is that is just inefficiency within the country, right? Because why are you not wasting my time? As a patient, I have other things to do. So now I just wasted an hour if I'm just sitting there and, and so on. So And there's some doctors, as you know, don't even take appointments. I don't know if you know that. Okay. Some of them don't take appointments. It's first come, first serve. So if you reach there and have 10 people ahead of you, you just have to chill hmm. on, until you... And you don't know what those 10 people ahead of you for, right? So you don't know who will take five minutes. You don't know who will take an hour. So you're just going to chill until. So that's just one of my... The things that I saw and I looked at and I felt like, you know, there could be some opportunities there.
0: I like what you said in terms of how professionals can use technology to make their, even just their booking and calendar management more efficient and actually, you know, help them to become more oversubscribed. I mean, even beyond just the calendar management side, I think, you know, the websites, how you use social media or whatever to direct people to your websites and all these various tools you could use to market yourself that weren't available, you know, maybe 20 years ago, however many years ago and you know, just that point you, you're making on in terms of, you know, where things are so inefficient in the country, it brought up this third question, you know, and, and just recently I had to be going in the bank and be, just recently I tried to change the name of a business I've incorporated already and I can't, anyway, ease of doing business. <laughs> I started I to <laughs> get triggered there. I started to <laughs> get triggered. <then>. I started to <laughs> get fixed, right? The ease of doing business, especially well, we're here in Trinidad and Tobago, but I'm pretty sure it's. Is not much better in other islands in the Caribbean region or in other developing nations, right? How do we make it easier to do business here for us through the use of technology,
1: man? So, so that was part of the catalyst on Mark too, right? right? because all the things I'm speaking about, e-commerce, you know, opening your bank account, dealing with different parties. If you're a small business and sometimes small businesses, some small businesses. What they know is their industry. So, if I, for example, I'm a candle maker, I can be the best candle maker, but I don't know anything about bank accounts, I don't know anything about e commerce, so on and so forth. So, part of that whole ease of doing business, that's what we did on Mark for to help with doing ease of doing business. And I'll give you an example of one of the things we went through. It took us three months, Kevin, to get a bank account open. And we reached out to all the banks. This wasn't because I was really focus on this one particular bank and I want to do it with that bank. We reached out to all the banks. They just wasn't like, they wouldn't get them back to you. The paperwork was crazy amount of paperwork. It was just a pain. And I think that is one side of it. I don't know why it's so painful. I think simple things as opening bank accounts. That has that definitely that definitely has to change. As a matter of fact, I'll give you further to, to that whole issue with the bank account. So we have a business bank account. Mm-hmm. We have no checkbooks, they refuse to give us checkbooks. We have no cards for the account. So literally the only way we could do business on this account is we could do online transfers. That is if we send the money to someone. If we have cash, I literally have to walk in the bank and deposit funds. If I need to get cash, like if I need money out of the bank to pay something to somebody who doesn't have online banking, I have to walk in the bank
0: who has time for that? To walk into the bank and take a number and sit down. Who has time for that
1: in this day and age? That is so unproductive. So the financial sector needs to be... I know we've spoken about where credit card penetration low and this low one because it's, it's a pain to open a bank account. Mm-hmm. So if it's such a pain to open a bank account and then you have to go and you have to line up and, and what what have you, of course you would find out we're, we're going to be a cash-based society for a long time. And that comes in many things. Yeah, we're trying to demonetize. I know I'm going off of that tangent, but bear with me. No, we, we're trying to demonetize and all that sort of thing. But we will constantly become a, remain a cash-based society because we don't have enough financial inclusion. We don't have all the right tools. We're not. It just doesn't exist. So that is one thing that is really... I think for me, if I was to speak about anything else, the financial sector, the banking sector... Something needs to change. Something needs to change. It stifles the economy. It stifles it's entrepreneurship and doing business and that sort of thing. Part of which why, again, we did what we did with OnMark. So as a vendor, you could sign up. We handle the payment processing. We take care of that to help. So as a vendor, you don't have to worry about, and even as a customer, you don't have to worry about, okay, this person can't take a link card, what have you. you know, We've done a lot of work with that, but there's still a lot of work to be done in the financial sector. And honestly, it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna change unless there's some se- serious legislation to mandate some things. Because if I'm making a billion dollars a year in profits, mm-hmm. what am I gonna change? <laughs> <laughs> like what am I changing? Right. So what make two billion? I'm not changing anything, you know. So I think that's that's one of my biggest pet peeve the the, the, the financial sector. I would say actually a couple months ago in New York, I went to a bank around the corner, right? I walked in. I said, hey, I want to open a bank account. Do you have an appointment? No. Okay. Um, What do your documents have in here? Well, I have this, I have that. Oh, well, I right, have a seat now. In about 10, 15 minutes, my bank account was open. Three or four days later, in the mail, I got my debit card. Yep. It was a visa debit. I had punched in a code at the bank. So now to activate it, I just need to go to anyone at the ATM and do a transaction, deposit some money, withdraw some money, boom, it's activated. Yep. Like, nothing about it. And then, and from that point, they also made sure I was able to log into the app when I was set up the account right there in the bank, send me the link, make sure I download the app, I was able to log in, see what all, everything right there and then, And I don't have a lot of memory of, about it because it was very short. It was very fast, very quick. I do have a lot of memory of opening my bank account <laughs> which took me three months. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny. Businesses here, they have the option of incorporating in the US through these various concierge services. Yeah. They're like 500 of them, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah, I think like when I look at the time to do things here, we're just doing that? And then plus also having access to hard currency, which is another conversation, you yeah. know, access to USD and all of that. It's like, yeah, man, let me just do that. I us incorporate there.
1: Yeah, and you raise and a good thing with hard currency because... Okay, we, we're saying businesses need to do more, use more technology, be online, that sort of thing. But we opened this business. We have no access to U.S. Mm-hmm. We asked for to open a U.S. bank account. We were told no. Come back to us in a year or two years, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, cool. Our email accounts, we need to pay via U.S. Our When we run ads and promotion through Facebook and Instagram, we need to pay in U.S. When our domain name is U.S., our server is U.S., our, like We have so many fees just to run, and any e-commerce business you're running, for the most part, most of these costs, you can't avoid it, because you know, there's no proper server infrastructure in trend that you could pay for in TT dollars. There's no domain register, right? there's .TT, but that's kind of expensive, and you want a .com, so that's US. There's so many expenses on a daily basis, your email account and so on, that is in US dollars. So... That's a challenge, right? Because if you're trying to do e-commerce in Trinidad, how do you pay for all these things? If you're, you're not given, you're not being given a credit card, you're not in US. You know, it, it's tough. And again, that was part of all of that. You know, when we looked at all that, we said, "Look, there's value in doing this marketplace because we remove all those barriers for businesses. You can list, you can sell, and you don't have to worry about all those those headaches." You know, so again, to my mission. How could I use technology to help businesses improve? You know, I'm living it. I'm doing it. I've done it. I knew nothing about e-commerce marketplace when I started looking at this about two years ago. I said, And I said to myself, hey, why I can't I do something like Amazon? You can do an Amazon for on that. It's done. So I always say part of business also, the limit is really your imagination. If you have an idea, once you can do the research and and you're really passionate about it and you can see it's being profitable, you could do it. It could be done.
0: And of course, if you want to connect with Jason Valley, best place to reach out to him is on LinkedIn. You could check out Silo tracking at silotracking.com or on Mark, China, Tobago at unmarktt.com. Check out the products and services there. So some very interesting lingerie for women there. So <laughs> <laughs> Lots of products available on the
1: platform.
0: <laughs> Jason, is there anything you want to say? I mean, you have open mic, open forum, open platform. Anything we didn't cover today that you want to make sure we get out to the audience before we wrap?
1: I think we covered a lot of the main things, but a few of the main things I want to reinforce is if you see an area where it's inefficient or you feel passionate about and you think there's opportunity for profit, give it a try. Go at it. You know, don't spend a lot on it financially. Spend time and work on it. And when you're doing it, just make sure you are. One in a million, not one of a million. If you continue trying to be one in a million, the best of whatever space you're in, you will be the best in the space you're in. That's
0: fantastic. Jason, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Podcast world, there you have it. Adding value with technology with Jason Valley. Subscribe to The Value at Slash subscribe. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to give us a five-star rating. Write us a hearty review if your heart guides you to write in a hearty review. In the next episode, we're going to talk to Shana Mullings, hailing from the island of Jamaica. Now, Shana describes herself as a proacademic, multi-potentialite, a flexifoot, and a sapiosexual. Now, we're going to be talking about building community wealth through social entrepreneurship. So really exciting conversation as well. Look forward to sharing that with you on the next episode of The Value. Until then, we are out.